Um, so, um, in this course, our this week, our main focus is going to be about dreams. Next week, we are going to focus on we are going to focus on the zodiac, and then on week three, we're going to focus on curses and jinxes, and in week four, we're going to focus on the paranormal. What are angels? What are demons? We're going to speak about those a little bit tonight, but not enough to suffice the the intellectual stim, uh, stimulation for it. Um, and we're going to get into if there's aliens, especially I'm. Yes, we will. Um, we're going to get into what are if there's aliens, which. There's just been, I guess, it's not so recent, you know, the Congress, they've had a hearing, hearing is about aliens. Um, what does Judaism think about it? And we'll get on to that. Um, thank you so much for choosing to be here tonight. It means a lot to me. And uh, let's begin. So this week, we are speaking about dreams. So before we get into that, I want to just get into about a little bit about the idea of the supernatural. So there's just, this is from Pew Research from 2019. It's from Pew Research in 2019. This is about the, um, they took a, a survey about the belief people have in the paranormal. So we have not 42% of people believe in spiritual energy can be found in physical objects. 41% of people believe in physics. 33% of people believe in reincarnation. 29% of people believe in astrology. And 62% of people believe in one of the above over here. Um, I didn't make the, this is from Pew Research, I think. I could double check that. Yeah, from Pew Research. I don't know why physics is part of this, but this is just the, so we see in this time. So, oh, psychics. That's a good point. I knew I, I read it right. Now I'm like, we keep on reading psychics. Yeah. So, um, so the, you know, that with this, even though with the growing, I'm not sure. Um, we see in the, the fact that just even now with the more there is science, the more we know, the more people are coming to terms of the supernatural, what we don't actually know. So, oops. so let us, I just want to, um, so that's just a small introduction for this course. So now tonight, what I want to get into is number one, what is the significance of dreams in, in Judaism? So we're going to take the Jewish perspective. So first we're going to go with the inclination that dreams should be taken super seriously. Then we are going to see an alternative alternative view that maybe dreams are not something to be reckoned with and they should actually be taken lightly. We are going to bring together the paradox and see how both of those ideas can coincide together. And then we are going to try to see how to determine on ourselves which dreams of our own dreams are ones to be reckoned with and which ones we should not think it, not think about. And then we'll finish off with a, um, a small note from the Rebbe 
the Lubavitcher Rebbe explaining us how to take care of nightmares. If someone's having, if someone wrote to the Rebbe, he had a problem with nightmares, and we will get into how to deal with that um, phenomena. So just to get started, I want to say a, start off with a story. There's one time a woman, she wakes up in the morning and she taps her husband and she says, Jonathan, you don't understand what, the, what dream I had last night. He's like, what was the dream? She says, I had a dream that you bought me this beautiful diamond necklace. Can you have any idea what the meaning of that dream is? So he's like, I don't know. He comes back from work in the afternoon and she goes, Jonathan, have you had a chance to think about my dream? He said, yeah, I have no idea what it means. The next day, she's like, Jonathan, have you thought about the dream yet that I had? He's like, I don't know what it means. Finally, after a few days, she comes home. He, Jonathan comes home from work and he has a present. He, he has his wrapping paper, a present, and he says, looks at his wife and says, you know, I really think now you'll know, you'll get the answer to what your dream meant. So she's so excited. She thinks she, she's finally, her husband finally understood. She opens up the present and it's a book called Understanding Dreams. <laughs> um, all right, more on a serious note, I wanna start off with a, a mini, I guess a mini documentary about, um, it's about dreams, about with the Titanic, interesting story. And this, that will kick off the lesson. Nine hundred feet long, one hundred and seventy-five feet from keel to funnel, bearing over two thousand souls, including several of the world's wealthiest. Experts had crowned it the unsinkable, and it was making good time on its maiden voyage. One Jewish man, though, battled a feeling of unease. Isaac Frauenthal was born in Pennsylvania in October 1868 on the Jewish festival of Hashanah Rabbah, meaning great salvation. He opened a law practice in New York, and in March 1912, he traveled to Nice, France to attend his brother Henry's wedding to Clara Rogers. The newlyweds journeyed on to the English port city of Southampton to ride the luxurious Titanic back to New York. And why not? A new life, a new ship, a liner predicted to live happily ever after. Isaac chose a scenic route through France, boarding the Titanic at Cherbourgon the day after Passover. He paid today's equivalent of $4,000 for a first-class ticket. But he was jittery. Days earlier, he had an awful dream. He saw himself aboard a colossal steamship that crashed headlong into something large and began to sink beneath the waves. He awoke shaken, but dismissed the dream because he believed neither in dreams nor the supernatural. The night before boarding, his dream reoccurred. An oceanic collision, helplessly sinking. Escape, escape. But the sun rose, and so did he a lot less certain than before. Was there anything to this? Should he board the Titanic? Should he share his dream? No, they would mock him. The ship was unsinkable. 
Isaac quietly boarded the Titan of the Sea, but he later found a moment to share his fearful vision. As expected, he was roundly ridiculed. Until four nights later, when, at 11.40 on April 14th, the ship's lookout spotted a colossal iceberg dead ahead. The Titanic reversed its mighty engines and lurched to the left, but its starboard was lacerated. Ice tore into steel, and water dragged the ship's throat downwards. Isaac heard the captain express terror and ran to rouse Henry and Clara. Too many passengers refused to abandon ship at midnight, unable to believe that a lifeboat was safer than an Olympic liner. But Isaac had seen this vessel sink twice already. As he rolled into a lifeboat, he said, Well, Henry, I wasn't so foolish, was I? Henry wasn't sure. Surely such an engineering wonder could remain afloat until it could be repaired or towed. But the Titanic's stern rose into the air with hundreds clinging on. Snapping clean in two, the vessel plunged into the eternal silence of a bottomless ocean. One and a half thousand souls were lost. A nightmare, a reality, in the heart of the night. One sunrise and six hours later, Isaac was hoisted aboard the Carpathia, which sailed on to New York. He no longer doubted that something had forewarned him about the disaster. All right, I see. I have some question for the Zoom audience. Was everyone able to see that? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> no, I couldn't yeah. see. Yeah, Vadim, I asked because of you. I guess I was wondering if it was a problem with uh, a problem with the screen. There might be just something else. A problem with the share. Oh, maybe. Yeah. All right. So. Let's un let's un uh, let's unpack this a little bit. So we have this story with the Titanic. Now the question is, um, I would like a volunteer to answer. Um, if you were in Isaac's position, would you have boarded the Titanic or not? Or you know, let's do by raise of hands. So over here, live audience, if you had the, such a dream, would you have boarded the Titanic? You would have boarded. Who would not have boarded the Titanic after having such a dream? You would not have? What about what about on Zoom? Is anyone is there anyone on Zoom that would have not um, boarded the Titanic? All right. <laughs> so that just so uh, we'll get back to this story later and one of the implications and today in modern day about interpreting dreams and how to deal with it. But we will, uh, but here that's, this is, we're kicking off with this. And now, so a question, which um, Amat, it's just something to think about during this lesson is number one, have you ever had a dream that seemed very real to you? If yes, how did you respond to it? And number two, what criteria do you use to determine whether you take a dream seriously. Um, if someone wants to share, they could volunteer. I'm not asking. I know like dreams are generally pretty personal 
to a lot of us. So I'm not asking anyone to share, but if anyone, um, just bring, bring you up the discussion. All right, so let us, let us begin. So let's see, I wanna, we're gonna kick off with, you know, dreams. So where are the first dreams discussed? So that'll be in the Bible, you know, in the, the Torah, we have dreams spoken. There's many dreams um, in Genesis that speaks about many dreams. So we'll kick off with that. So you have, if you in your student book on page six, we have a whole bunch of dreams from Genesis. We're not gonna go through all of them. I'm gonna say a story about two of them because which will be directly, well, we will know need to know directly for later. So there is the story with Joseph. So you have, Jacob has um, 12 sons. Um, Joseph was from his wife, Rachel, which was the wife he loved most. So he gave extra attention to Joseph. His brothers, as a result, Joseph was number 11 in the family. So his older brothers, as a result, were very jealous of him. And therefore, they disliked him. Um, Joseph has a dream. And he has a dream that, that the sun and stars, sun, moon, and stars bowed down to him. And he tells his father the dream. And he tells his siblings the dream and his father the dream. And the siblings say, it's nonsense because Joseph's mother by then had already passed. Um, and then they get so jealous of him, though, as a result of the dreams, they actually sell their brother Joseph as a slave. And he gets passed down to Egypt. Make a long story short, Joseph ends up in Egyptian prison. Um, and Pharaoh has a dream of his own. Pharaoh has a dream that there, first he has a dream that there were seven nice, good-looking, healthy cows, seven skinny cows, and the seven fat cows eat, uh, the seven skinny cows eat the fat cows, and nothing changes about them. And he has a similar dream with there are seven nice ears of grain, and there are seven really shabby ones, and the shabby ones eat the really good-looking ones, and nothing happens to them. Nothing changes. They don't get fatter or nothing. And he really struggles understanding the dream. Um, and Pharaoh has to look, he has Pharaoh being the Pharaoh, being the Egypt at the time was the empire. It's like the U.S. today. And he had a whole group of personal, personal um, dream explainers, but none of them could give a sufficient explanation finally they find joseph in prison and joseph gives an explanation about what the dream what is the meaning of the dream and he basically gets into that there will be first seven years of plenty but then as there's afterwards will be seven years of famine which will be so bad that we all have forgotten that there are ever seven years of plenty to begin with and because of that joseph actually kicks off a a plan how to make sure the egypt doesn't die of starvation so those are those are the two of the biggest dreams in Genesis. And the one with Pharaoh is actually the one which is spoken about with most detail. But now let us see, let's look in text two, which is on page eight. Let's see what, um, how the Talmud, what is the Talmudic implication of these, of, of these dreams? So it says in the Talmud, Rabbi Yochanan taught in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Ben Yochai, just as there can never be wheat without chaff mixed in, so too there can never be a dream without nonsense mixed in. Rabbi Brachia taught, 
even though part of the dream may be fulfilled, the entirety of a dream is never fulfilled. The source of these statements is found in the story of Joseph's dreams. Joseph dreamed that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me, referring to his parents' 11 siblings. Yet at the time of, of the dream, Joseph's mother had already deceased. So let's unpack that a little bit. So we have number one, you know, Joseph's dream actually ends up becoming true. When his family comes to Egypt, they all bow down to him. But still, his mother was not alive then. So his mother never bowed down to him. Um, so now, but what do we see from the, the Torah? We see that there's actually dreams have a lot of meaning. Dreams, you know, we have tons of meaning. So that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that that will be our own confirmation bias to look at the Torah and say dreams have meaning because in the, gra in, the, in the graphic that there is in the book, I think it mentions five, six dreams. There were millions of people alive, if not billions at the time. I have no idea. Wasn't around then. How I don't know the population at the time, but they've, they've dreamt billions of dreams. The Torah mentions only a few of them. So those are the, the Torah only mentions the most important things that will be a lesson for us in the future. So therefore, that would, be, that would be probably our own confirmation bias to say, you see, the Torah gives validity to all dreams. So I think a better way to look at it is like this. That there are some dreams that are meaningful. That's one thing we definitely learn from the Bible, from the Torah, that some dreams are meaningful not, um, because the Torah speaks about some dreams. And that dream interpretation is not simple, like we see from Pharaoh, that he, it took him a while until he chanced upon Joseph to explain him his dream. And that dreams are never entirely accurate, like we see from the dream of Joseph, which it was not an entirely accurate dream. So I guess to summarize, we, we uh, spoke about the Torah's out, um, aspect of dreams, the written Torah, and we see the Torah gives validity to dreams. But there's the, what we can learn from the Torah is that dreams could be relevant. That's not a proof for us that all dreams are relevant because the Torah does not discuss every dream that every person had at that time. Um, yeah, that, so I'm just saying we can't, that's not enough of a proof to us to say, let's take every dream seriously. All right, um, can we take questions? Anyone? So, Ron, Ron actually asked the question. He said that he doesn't see anything supernatural about dreams. Supernatural. Just because there's a little bit in Genesis doesn't make dreams supernatural. So, firstly, like I've actually clicked on next slide for those that saw it. We already saw angels. So, we're actually it's about to get wild. Because when we get into the Talmudic aspect of, the, of dreams, there's a lot more to be discussed. And you'll see how dreams are actually pretty complex. There is, and there is something, um, there is something 
um, supernatural about it. And then now we're, the reason why the course is called Supernatural is explaining the, Jew, the Jewish perspective. But we know we all have dreams. We all have, we all have dreams. We all have our own ideas. And, you know, they're not necessary. Some of them are, are nothing. Some of them, they're like, really, you wake up in the morning and you're a changed person. Maybe not for a very long time because it was just a dream. But you had this dream that felt so vivid that, that it felt so vivid that it was like, oh, my God. Like, I actually heard a great story from my father that um, one time there was a, there was a man he used to, when he was a yeshiva boy, they used to put on tefillin with. And the person would give, to, give him every once in a while a check for Chabad. So one time when my father comes to put on tefillin with him, the guy calls him to the side room. He says, he says, I, I have a, I have to talk to you. So my father goes to the side room with him and he says, I had this crazy dream um, I, that I went up to heaven and there was a, I went up to heaven and there was a, um, a, I passed away and I went up to heaven and there's a line, they're delaying to heaven, anyone who ever gave charity. There was a guy there with a book, the charity book, and you'd say who you gave charity to and they, they admit you if they see you on the list. So he said, I waited my line. Finally, I get to my turn. And they're like, what's your name? He said, I said my name. They said, who do you give charity to? So he said, Rabbi Kunin. He looks at it. He says, I don't see anything. He's like, Chabad of Malibu. The angel tells him, I didn't see anything. And he keeps on trying all these different, you know, and you forgot your code, your password. You're just not sure how you spelled it or something or your username. So he's trying every angle, what it could it be? And he's like, what is the meaning of this dream? So, that, I mean, that dream, it's a funny story. That dream meant something to him. Um, you know, we have, we all have these stories. So we want to explain the angle. What does that mean? We want to explain the angle. What can that mean practically? Um, all right. Any other questions? Um, so, all right, so let's continue. We have, um, so let's get into the Talmudic aspect of dreams. So we'll look at text three, which is on page 10. So before I say this, read the text, I want to explain a certain idea in Jewish law. There is a rule that something that is something, if let's say a drop of milk falls into a pot of meat, because we don't eat milk and meat together, but if a drop of milk falls in a pot of meat, if there is 60 times the milk, as 60 times the meat in the milk, then the milk in the pot, then we'll say, you know what, even though milk and meat together is not kosher, but because it's so little, it's completely nullified in the meat, you can't taste it, and it's totally okay. So there is a certain aspect in Torah that a 60th and onward is from more than a 60th and onward is worthless. But if something even is one, a 1 60th, is even 1 60th, a little bit less than 1%, a little bit less than 2%, um, 2% of it, then, yeah, it makes sense. 58. I don't know. Um, yeah, then, then we will, then we will um, give some validation to it. So that being said, the Talmud says about dreams as follows in, in text three, that a dream is one the 60th of prophecy. 
practically what that means is practically what that means is is that not that not that if you have 60 dreams you dream every single night for 60 nights one of those dreams will be a prophecy it means that every single dream you have has a little bit of prophecy in it even if we can't tell what it is the whole dream seems um like nothing he he's receiving something from god um whatever it could be so we see him if you look on page 11 on the of the student book we're not gonna go through all of these but look it says it says if someone dreams about himself getting a haircut it means he, he it's a good omen and the reason for that is joseph received the haircut before being promoted to vice to viceroy in egypt or let's see about animals if you dream about a donkey expect personal salvation the reason the messiah is described as riding upon a donkey so we can look at these later i'm not gonna go through i went through two of them um there are certain truths in dreams, and if you see it, it's like it, it could have a good meaning or it could have a negative meaning sometimes. So there is a there's something serious we have to take about dreams. So with that, let's segue into text four on page 14. It says as follows, Rav, Rav Yehoshua and his, the son of Rav Idi visited the home of Rav Ashi. His hope. Oh, but you're frozen. David will be, will be back on. Just stay on the meeting and he's going to be back in a minute. I guess he lost service and then it dropped. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, sorry about the freeze. Let me share the screen again. Um, all right. I'm just having internet trouble. All right. So, so Rav Ashi responds and he, he says, I'm observing a fast. They countered, do you not agree with the ruling of Rabbi Yehuda? that a person may break a self-imposed fast and repay his obligation by fasting on a different day? So look how Rav Ashi responds. He says, Rav Ashi replies, this is a fast due to a bad dream. Rav Varmachas taught in the name of Rav Chama Bar Gurya, who taught in the name of Rav, that a fast nullifies the pretense of a bad dream. 
like fire consumes flax. And Rav Chiza stipulated that a fast is most effective when observed on the day of the dream. Rav Yosef added that such a fast may even be observed on Shabbat. So let's break this down a little bit. Rav Ashi, Rav, Rav Ashi, who happens to be one of the greatest sages of the Talmud, he has a nightmare. He has guests over. He feeds them. They're like, why aren't they waiting for him to eat? They say, why aren't you eating? He said, I'm fasting. I had a bad dream. And he says, it's so great. It's such a big deal to have a bad dream that even on Shabbat, if you have a bad dream, you could fast. And the only time we allow someone to fast on Shabbat is Yom Kippur. That's the only time we fast on Shabbat. Shabbat is a day we celebrate. So we're supposed to eat a lot. So ironically, if you fast, if you fast because of a bad dream on Shabbat, you also have to fast another day of the week and to, to rectify the fast that you fasted on Shabbat. But that still doesn't, that still doesn't um, take away the idea that we allow someone to fast on Shabbat because they had a bad dream. And that's, that just shows you how great it is, how great a bad, how much, how much we take a bad dream seriously. And the reason for this is, is because a bad dream, I mean, the fasting is an idea of taking one, one fast. I mean, now we don't fast really anymore, unless there's a, a Torah imposed fast, like you know, Kippur and the like. The reason for that is we're not strong enough. It doesn't make us serve God better. But it used to be that people did that in a way of service of Hashem, a way of service of God. And therefore, through fasting, it made them feel closer to Hashem. And therefore, they, it would help them maybe overcome any obstacles they had to overcome in order to make sure that the vision they saw in their dream, this bad idea, this, this nightmare, doesn't come into fruition. Um, we're going to skip text five. And I'm going to um, summarize just from the summarize from the Talmud. The Talmud says, this is the side of taking dreams seriously. The Talmud says it gives two ideas. Idea number one, that it says two ideas in this regard, that dreams should be taken seriously because they are one 60th prophecy, which means every single dream has some residue of prophecy in it. It's not necessarily a prophecy, but there is something in it that to be reckoned with, and therefore dreams should be reckoned with. And so much so that if one has a bad dream, we will actually, it's, it is um, suggested of him to fast as a result of the bad dream in order to help him rectify anything in his life that needs fixing in order, in order that the decree upon him for whatever bad thing is supposed to happen should not re happen as a, shouldn't happen as a result of, shouldn't happen as a result of his fasting. So that is um, the, the first side of the, court, the coin. Anyone have any questions on that? Yes, Randy. This thing about fasting is, is there a correlation that if you have something bad happen in your life, a dream or something in your actual life that if you fast, it could be a way to rectify it? Um, well, fasting used to be associated with teshuva, with repentance. It's no longer the case. 
because I mean, we don't, but actually it's a bit off topic. So Randy asked if there's a correlation with anything bad happening like with fasting. So on that topic, actually, that we don't fast these days, but the first Rebbe of Chabad, he said that because we're not struggling to fast, we shouldn't fast. But instead, a good idea would be, let's say money, you spend, how much money do you spend on food a day? Let's spell, depends what you eat. But the average person who's on an average diet may be spending $25 on food a day, $30 on food a day. So take a day's worth of your meals and donate that to tzedakah, to charity. And that will be as if you fasted because, you know, we all have a hard time letting go. It's everyone, no matter how generous. Some people, it's after a dollar. Some people, it's a lot more. So that is something it just, it actually, it actually um, it takes a little bit out of us. And another idea would be that, you know, maybe one time you wanted to speak not good about someone, hold yourself back. In a certain sense, you're fasting. You're not, you're withholding. And these actually are much harder for us. And they actually mean something. We're actually making a difference in the world by doing these things. So that was the first side of the coin. Now the Talmud, there's a whole flip side to the coin of a Talmud looking at dreams extremely cynically. So let's look on page 17 in text 6. Um, we'll get right into it. Rabbi Shmuel, the Bar Nachmeni, the son of Nachmeni talks in the name of Rabbi Yonatan. People are only shown in their dreams the products of their own thoughts, their own imaginations. He brings a story for this. The Roman emperor once said to Rabbi Yoshua, the son of Rabbi Hanania, the Jews claim to be wise. Tell me then, what will I see in my dream tonight? The impossible question. But Rabbi Yeshua replied, you will see the Persians capture and enslave you and force you to herd pigs with a golden staff. The emperor thought about this a vision all day, and at night, he saw it in his dream. Now, a similar story. King Shapur, which was a Persian king, said to Shmuel, you Jews claim to be very wise. Tell me, tell me then, what will I see in my dream tonight? Shmuel replied, you will see the Romans take you captive and force you to grind date, pit, date pits with a golden mill. The king thought about this vision all day, and at night, he saw it in his dream. So um, I just want to point out, number one, the Persians and the Romans were a rivalry. They were two empires that first Rome takes over Persia, but then Persia comes back and takes over Rome. That's the, the first story happened a few hundred years before the second story. Um, but we, this is a very cynical look at dreams that Shmuel tells the Roman emperor, Shmuel tells the, the Roman emperor, sorry, Rabbi Yeshua was the first story, tells the Roman emperor, your enemy, the Persians, are going to enslave you and make you herd pigs. That's a nightmare. <laughs> like, but you'll still have your golden staff, which makes it even more interesting. You know, if you make him a slave, make him walk around with a chain around his neck with a golden staff. It was so ironic to the king. He thought about it the whole day. He dreams about it at night. So we see what happens is the rabbi plants these idea, this bizarre idea in his head. And as a result, the king 
was so distraught by an entire day, automatically it just becomes part of what just that was what he dreamt, dreamt about at night. It was almost not by choice. Um yeah. Correct. 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 All right. Now there's another story in the Talmud. So before I get to the story, I want to speak a little bit about, I want to say a little story of my own. So there was the Jews, not my own story. This is actually a story of the Jewish people. The Jews, they, they leave Egypt and they go to Israel. So now the Jews are split into 12, 12 tribes. 11 tribes, were spoke, their job was to take care of themselves, to run a system of, to run a, a system of capitalism, you know, to make sure you make money, to make sure you can support your family, to have charity, I guess. The Torah, uh, the Torah version of business. But now there's a 12th tribe. That's a tribe of, of Levi. They were tasked with taking care of the temple. They were the priests and the, the, the Kohens, which were the priests, and there's the Levim, the Levites, would sing at the temple. They were, they, that was their entire job. So now the question is, how did they make a livelihood? So the Torah implemented a tax system to make sure that they, that to keep the temple running and keep the ones that are running the temple to have a livelihood. So step one was when you, someone had a field, um, they have to give 2% to the Kohens. The Kohens weren't a lot of people. The priests, they got 2% of that. Then afterwards, of the remaining 98%, you gave 10% to the Levites. And they got 10% of, of your income. Now there's, a, now there's a third 10%. This 10% was used as follows. The first there is a it's a six-year cycle so four out of every six there's a seven-year cycle there's a sabbatical year every seventh year so we don't there's no working your field in the seventh year so now there are six years left so the first four of those six years was something called Meiser Shani, which means the second type which means that you took that you were only that you took all this 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 produce and you're only able to eat it in jerusalem now someone has a farm they let's say let's say tropicana was in israel and they have their orange farms. So now a 10% of their oranges is millions of oranges. So how are they going to take millions of oranges to Jerusalem? So the answer is as follows. They're going to sell those oranges. They'll take the money that they make from those oranges and set it aside. And that money, when you go to Jerusalem, the next time you go for Rosh Hashanah to Jerusalem, after Rosh Hashanah, you have, let's say, $1,000. You, th you throw a barbecue with that money in Jerusalem and you could spend it over there. You have to bring a sacrifice, which a little bit of the meat goes to, goes on the altar, but the rest you make throw a party you have and you can enjoy, it's for you and your family. Then two out of every six years, the money went to the poor. So now that being said, with that, we will segue into our next story, text seven, titled Treasure Mark. We are on page 20. A person was troubled about the whereabouts of money that his deceased father left for him. 
He dreamed that his father told him exactly how much money it, it was and where it could be found. But it was consecrated as Meister Shani, the second tithe. He went to a specified place and indeed found the specified sum of money. The sages instructed this person that the contents of dreams are irrelevant and he need not treat the money as Meister Shani. Let me one second. Okay. Um, so let's unpack this a little bit. This person, he's looking for this money that his father hid. He was like, right now in the what well, we're in, there are a whole bunch of bank runs happening. So people threw took all their money out of the bank. So his dad did the same. He bought gold with it and he buried it in the backyard. But he has no idea where it is. So then his um his the son gets a dream from the dad. The dad says, I dare buried the money under the tree. Go find it. But you can't use it for anything else because it's Maisha Shani, and therefore it can only be spent in Jerusalem. It's holy money that can only be spent in Jerusalem in the in the stead of the produce on something holy, like a sacrifice. Take make a sacrifice and make a barbecue out of that. He finds the money in the exact place his father tells him where it is. And the rabbis say, keep the money for yourself. So that seems very dismissive. That even if 90% of the dream is true, and one part of the dream is in action, you know, there's another story. There's, the Maimonides brings another story, even a little bit more extreme. You know, God... God has, God has, um, God could forgive money. You know, God says, you know, this money is supposed to spend on me, but if it happens in a dream, I'll let it go. But, and actually it goes even further. Let's say same story happens. And the dad says, you know, the money is over here, but it's not my money. It really belongs to someone else. You do not need to return it to that someone else. There's no, he has no claim on the money. Reason for that being because we look at dreams that they are irrelevant, even if there's a lot of truth to it. But this seems as a very big contradiction to everything we've discussed till now. That seems that we really dreams are meant to be reckoned with. We brought up the Talmud, one sixtieth of prophecy. So how can we reconcile those two ideas? Any questions? Ronnie had a question? Yeah. Uh, reconcile means both of them be true? Yes. It seems to me they can't be true. Yes, that's, that's a, the next piece we're going to get into. That how they could both be true at the same time. Or they can't be true at the same time, but they're both true ideas. Yeah. That was a, a specific story that actually happened. Um, it sounds like to me, uh, but the uh, 
I, I can see how you reconcile people's treatment of polling throughout a year. Um, you're reconcilable. So there's um, so that we're going to get into we're going to get into how we can reconcile these two ideas. So let us. Um, you have to change the feed. All right. All right. So let us get to, to the reconciliation. Let's look at text eight. Rava raised a contradiction between two verses. One verse, one verse, in one verse, God says, I speak with the prophet, prophet in a dream. But a second verse states, dreams speak falsely. And he answered his own question. You know, this is what rabbis do. We bring up questions. We make a discussion. We make, um, we make chaos in the room. Then we let it calm down and we say, here's the answer. There are two types of dreams. Some come from the means of an angel and some come from the means of a demon. So there we go. So here are our dreams. What are dreams? Let's get into, so we're gonna discuss this. Um, angels and demons. What are dreams from angels? A dream from an angel would be that it comes from a positive force, a positive spiritual force. And the reason for that, how do we, how would it come from a positive spiritual force? Because what happens when we go to sleep? Let's look at text number eight, nine, to see what happens when we go to sleep to understand why, why angels would have access to our dreams. So at a certain time dur um, during sleep, souls ride up to the heavenly academy each soul going to the hall it, it is associated with. In general terms, the location in the heavenly palace where a person's soul rests at night is um, is commensurate with the spiritual statue, stature they have achieved in their daytime divine service. More specific, what does this mean practically? More specifically, a person if a person observes a mitzvah, studied Torah, or prayed in a more beautiful and complete manner that day, or went to sleep with words or thoughts of Torah in their mind, they merit a loftier location in heaven. The heavenly palace contains hallways, colonnades, colonnades lounges, and halls in which the soul can rest when it rises to heaven to draw new life during sleep. So what do we see from here? That what happens in the, at night, depending on our day, how our day went that day, depend, that's where our soul got led into. You know, when we go to sleep, it says, ironically, you know, we speak 160th, that sleep is 160th death. It's a little bit of death in sleep because our neshama, the part of our neshama leaves the body. Our soul leaves the body. It goes and it, and it, uh, it goes, it goes to heaven. Wow. Yeah, we say the Shema. We'll get to that. Um, um, therefore, we, depending on how your day went, that's where your soul's going to end up. Some of the extra mitzvah one day, their soul will end up in a higher place than it was the day before, which they didn't do that extra mitzvah. 
and so on and so forth. So therefore, um, angel dreams will be, they occupy the heavenly realm where the souls visit while we were asleep. And because we are in, if someone's in this lofty state, they get an opportunity, angels able to communicate with divine information. We get an opportunity, a divine opportunity to get divine communication. There is actually, um, there's a book called Shailas Uchuvas Minashamayim. It's a questions and answers from heaven. It's a person which he would write at night. He would write questions, put them on his pillow, a big rabbi, and he would dream about the answers. He would write down the answers in the morning. Um, that being said, he was a holy person. He got dreams from angels, and therefore, he went to a, high, a higher place in hell, a high, uh, in heaven, a higher realm, and therefore, he was able to channel all that information. It was kind of, in a certain sense, like a prophecy. So let's skip to text 11. So now, we dealt with the angels. Now, first, let's discuss what these demons are. And then how to deal with the demons. So in text 11, we're going to discuss what these demons are. This is from a big, um, this is a big rabbi, rabbi from the 14th. He lived in between, in the, the end of the 14th century and in the 15th century. Lived a pretty long life for that time period. And he writes a little bit about dreams. So this is what he says. False dreams are a product of unhealthy, Possessed imagination. The sages borrow the term demon to describe the negative, destructive spirit that afflicts a person. Dreams from this source are meaningless, and one shouldn't be concerned about them at all. So what are demons? You know, there's a, we all, you know, when someone's going through a mental health crisis, we say he's struggling with his own demons. It's like a saying in English. What are demons? Demons are the demons are our insecurities, our resentments, our hangups. These will all be a part of our demons. So if we live a life full of those, our dreams will reflect a lot of that. Because we are not necessarily in a pure state of mind and therefore our dreams will not be coming from a pure place our brains aren't pure so even when we sleep we can't get out of our own head in the day we think about these things but our eyes are open so we're conscious so we see it's not a dream but at night when we're not conscious we get totally consumed by the idea So when dreams are our imagination, we will assume that the dreams are speaking falsehoods. If the dreams are from angels, then the dreams are miniature prophecies and they are something to be reckoned with. Amazing. Now here comes a million dollar question. That was very academic. Great, I know now that there are two types of dreams. So now last night I had this incredible dream where I was walking down the pier and someone comes to me and tells me these are the numbers for the lottery tomorrow. 
or lottery, no, lottery, I don't know, lotteries on Tuesdays. So this happened a few days ago. This happened Monday, lotteries on Tuesdays, I think. Someone comes, and the first says, a lot of the numbers will be such, 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 and such. Is that dream an angel dream? Or should I have bought a ticket? The dream didn't happen. I'm just giving an example. Should I have bought a ticket? Or should I not? Is it just, I always dream, I dream about having, I always, I always think, you know, some days I just feel like I really use someone just give me a big hug and say, David, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Here's $80,000. Um, it's a, it's a, a saying I've once, like when something goes around every once in a while, um, you know, like we all think about this, you know, if only this, if only that, what, where are these dreams coming from? So that is the million dollar question. How do we know what dreams are what? So let's get into that a little bit. Actually, before that, I want questions. Um, any, any questions from anyone? Zoom audience, any questions? All right, let's continue. So now, there'll be two types of dreams. We'll get into it. There's a simple dream. Let's say you have a dream that a relative comes to you in a dream and says, we're all rooting for you. Keep up the good work. So now, such a dream, we have no reason to assume it's demons. It's a good dream as a positive message. Take it, you know, if I'll make you, if that will make you be a better person today, go ahead, take it, use it. That's awesome. But now there's another type of dreams. There's practical dreams. Um, there are like, for example, there's a, there are stories of, there are stories that, you know, Someone passes away. When one passes away, their children say Kaddish for them for 11 months. They say a prayer for the deceased. The prayer is kind of a, the prayer is kind of a, to help them in heaven in case their souls need. We all make mistakes in the world. So the, we feel the consequences were in heaven. So it helps us not, it helps the soul not feel the consequences. The reason why we don't say the Kaddish for 12 months is because we want to give the maximum someone will be, a soul will be in purgatory, will be 12 months. And we never want to assume that on a parent, heaven forbid, that they were, they're the maximum. So we do 11 months. There are stories that people had a dream that they're, their parent came to them after 11 months and said, I really need this extra month. Can you please do it for me? So that dream is a call for action. Um, what do you do in such a scenario? You know, if you have, if, if, a, uh, if you have a medical emergency, you don't go to a rabbi, you go to a doctor, but in such a case, like, what do we do about that? Like, who do you ask? How do you, how do you decide what to do? And I think I heard the story, and I think what the rabbi was asked said, he said, you should not be saying the Kaddish, because it's not respectful to your father, but you should have someone else do it instead. But do we reckon such a dream? 
So that's something that doesn't hurt. You could do something about it. But let's say there's something like we had the story with our um, with our the 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 Meister Shani, the second type. What do you do about that if it's a call for action? Now, is it a is it a is it a demon? Is this a demon, or is this an angel? So how do we reconcile the two? How do we know what's what? So the Tashbats, which you just mentioned earlier, he helps us navigate the doubts. This is the continuation in text 12. He says the following. We have reconciled the sages' teachings and reached the logical conclusion that some dreams are valid and should be taken. This is on page 25. And should be taken seriously, while others are meaningless and should be ignored. We are now left with the question of how to relate to a specific dream. How are we to know if it is valid or meaningless? So he answers like this, as a general rule in any situation of doubtful ownership is to leave the item in question in the hands of the person who currently possesses it. This is why the Talmud stated that the person who has a dream pointing to location of Meister Shani, the second type, inheritance, should disregard his dream, leaving the money under his full ownership, as it had been prior to the dream. Dreams are irrelevant as far as taking money out of possession of the owner. So he says something very interesting. He says, he says as follows. He says that um, if your dream makes you do something practical to change, there is no reason we, there will, we don't care if it's an angel or not. We won't do that because halacha is practical. Jewish law is practical. Dreams are not a way to don't convey what the law is. So even if the dream is telling you one thing, we do not need to reckon with that. And we could do um, whatever. If you, let's say with the dream, with the money, the money will stay with the owner. So ima imagination, the dreams will always be not true. If it's an angel, that'll be prophecy. But either, and if since we're not sure if we're an angel, we're having an angelic dream or a demonic dream, the money will stay with the possessor. And permission is granted if it's an angel to dream to fast on Shabbos. If your dream's a demon, it's a demonic dream, you can't fast on Shabbos. So now the question is so this is just the beginning. The question is how do we resolve what we have? So great, this is the breakdown. How do we resolve what we had? What was our dream and how to go about that? Any questions? Okay, so let's, if you have a lot of questions, we'll finish and we'll have a discussion. So on page 27, there is a piece from the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Rabbi of Chabad, which he talks a little bit about dreams, and he says as follows. He says, he says, I heard explicitly from my grandfather, which would be the first Rebbe of Chabad and teacher of blessed memory, that one should not be worried at all about such matters like dreams. The teachings in the Talmud that lend great significance to dreams only apply to people of great spiritual stature. 
whose thoughts are distant from these matters, if this person has an uncharacteristic experience, it must be a divinely orchestrated, must be divinely orchestrated, and it is therefore a cause for concern. However, a person whose thoughts regularly wander to such matters has no reason for concern. My grandfather repeated this many times and would dismiss people that were miserable as a result. You should completely ignore it and ignore this and be joyful, he would say. So a very interesting piece that number one, when it comes to dreams, you know, the Talmud, when the Talmud says dreams should be taken seriously, that's talking about a very specific league of people that their minds don't wander. I don't, I don't know if there's anyone like this today. Their minds, they're not going elsewhere. They are, they don't imagine, they don't have resentments. They're a righteous person. They don't make mistakes. And therefore, when they dream about something horrible, it's because there's a divine, it's coming from divine that something, there's something horrible to be reckoned with. Is that a Zadik you're talking about? What? Zadik. A Zadik, yeah. But the rest of us, our minds wander so much there's no need to worry about our dreams. You have a dream that says something bad's going to happen or whatever. There's no need to worry about that because our minds wander. You know, how many, how many crazy things do we see on social media in a day? We see on TV. You open the television. There's always bad news all around us. So when you, you know, like if today there's two banks that probably will be sold at the end of the week after news today. You know, you open social media, you see, speak about it. You go on TV. That's all they're talking about. So if you had a dream tonight and said that your money is going to be lost, that's probably as a result of everything we saw. There's no need to think otherwise. There's no reason to. Because we are so, it's just coming from our own imagination. So just to unpack a little bit, our, again, our imagination, it, it, our dreams are just imagination because it's likely, a, it's likely a result of our imagination. It's likely a result of everything we thought about throughout the day. Something you saw on Twitter, something you saw on Instagram, you saw, it's likely as a result of that. And therefore, we don't fast for a bad dream on Shabbos anymore. It's not a thing. Because chances are, it's, we are torturing ourselves. You know, social media doesn't make it better for anyone. We torture ourselves during the day. So now our minds just take a cue and they continue that. But an angelic dream, this is for spiritual people. I don't know if the, I don't know how many people that their dreams are to be reckoned with. And therefore, such people, though, they will be granted permission to fast because of their dreams on Shabbos. And now. Now, so now um, when it comes to the wandering mind, for the rest, this is us. There are two types of. There are two types of dreams for us. Yes. All right, yeah, let's take questions then. Yeah. When psychology like talking about like in dreams, the way the way your brain works, I'm talking from the 
know, how we describe in psychology that whatever goes on during the day, your brain has to organize it and process it and pack it away. It has to categorize it. So whatever you, everything you see during the day gets categorized in my mind at night as a dream. And that's how and that's how that works. So what you're saying correlates with what these people of the mind would suggest it. It's actually, yeah. So Randy pointed out that a lot of this, you know, speaking about the, these demonic dreams are actually proven in psychology today. So it's actually very interesting. You know, the Talmud explains somehow they knew it all. They explained all these scenarios, even spoke about airplanes in the Talmud. Speaks about flying boxes and what is it? What is the law about them? I don't know what made them think about that, but now that answered a lot of questions, halacha questions, um, Jewish Jewish law questions as a result of it explaining those ideas. So, a person of great spiritual would be the only one whose dream is a long six-year Correct. Yeah. And the ordinary swab has no. Um, he has potential, but probably not. I want to. I want to. Let's want to wait to end, and we'll have a discussion. Um, anyhow, so now for the wandering minds, the there are for the wandering minds are two types of dreams. For me and you, we have two types of dreams. There's dreams that hamper. There's a dream that says you are going to, that you're going to be a spot, you're going to end up in being haunted down by a whole bunch of bad actors and you are being chased and you could do these crazy stunts and everything. And that's as a result of watching the James Bond movie last night. So then obviously disregard that dream. It's not a something, it's not telling you there's going to be some crazy story that's going to happen because it's just you, like, you watch a scary movie, you'll have a nightmare. It's I mean you won't necessarily have a nightmare, but if you do, it'll be, you know, it's one plus one equals two. Nothing to worry about. It's because of what you did in the day. But let's say you have a dream that inspires you. Then internalize it because you know, just because we are not our minds wander and we're not masters of our mind, we're not masters of what we look at, doesn't mean that. Our dreams have no prophecy whatsoever. They could have. Could be something good. So if there's a good message to be taken, you tomorrow could be a better person because of the dream you had last night. Go ahead and run with it. Because first of all, there's a chance that this is God's message to you, telling you to shape to, you know, you could do better. Inspires you, you could do better. You could be more active. Take it. That's a beautiful thing to do. Um so now, so now we unpacked that we got up to, we said that, I just want to summarize everything we said till now, is number one, we said that there are two types of dreams. There are angel dreams and there are demon dreams. Angel dreams will be uh, from a spiritual force. A demon dream will be our own imagination from our own demons, our own resentments. That's what we're seeing. And then we said, there is a chance that even us having our own hangups, resentments and everything, there is, even with all of that, there's still a chance it's coming from divine. So therefore, there are two, two dreams to be looked at. There are, there's two ways to look at it. There's one way, one way 
you should look at the dream. If it's a positive message, take it and run. If it's a negative mes message, there's no reason you, you could just assume that you just assume that it's a it's a negative idea. There's nothing to think about and go ahead with it. So now I want to get back before we continue and we finish off. I'll speak about nightmares. I want to get back to the video we had in the beginning. So this guy sees two dreams of the Titanic. He still goes on it and it sinks. So the question is, so back to our confirmation bias, what do you mean dreams are real? So a point I want to bring out is as follows, that if God didn't want him to go on the ship, Hashem had many ways of making sure he would not make it on that ship. The point of him having the dream was that he should have that experience and survive. It's, I mean, this is just an idea. I'm not like, I'm obviously, I'm not God and I'm not someone holy, so I can't say what actually happened. And therefore, you know, a lot of people when the Titanic hit the iceberg, they didn't even get off the boat because they figured this boat can't sink. Many people, they continued eating dinner and doing whatever. He, as soon as it happened, he jumped on a lifeboat. Before there's the whole push down the lifeboats, he got on the first lifeboat, him and his wife, because of his dreams. So that's number one. And so his dream happened to have a prophecy, in it, and we could all have those. But the question is, should we be troubled by our dreams? The answer is no, because chances are it's just as a result of whatever we see around us, we think about, and therefore, that is what's going on. So now the question is, so great. So night, nightmares are not to be reckoned with. But you know, I still hate a good, I, I, I still hate a nightmare, you know? You, hit, you have a nightmare one night, you're up the next two hours, you're thinking, you know, even if you know we're emotional, we are all emotional beings. So even if we know that we shouldn't care about our dreams, you know, if you're shaken up, you're shaken up, you're not falling asleep anytime soon. It felt so real. You know, like one time when I was a little kid, I had a nightmare that there's some bad guy or whatever. I, I slept on the top bunk and he grabbed me and he picked me up and he threw me on the floor. And I felt the bang and I woke up, I was on my bed. So it was just so real to me. It was so real that I even felt the bang. I woke up with that. I'm not sure what the bang was, but I felt it. And then I probably went to my parents' room, was scared, ended up sleeping on the floor of their room for the rest of the night or something. But we all have those. So how do we prevent that from happening? So let's look at text 16. The Rebbe actually addresses nightmares and he says, and this is in a very beautiful, it was a beautiful note. It wasn't even a full letter. Someone wrote about nightmares and the Rebbe was 16. I skipped, I skipped 15. I kind of spoke about the ideas of 15, but I skipped it. Um, so it says as follows. It is well known. Page thirty-five. Yes, page thirty-five. It is well known that the sage and the sages teach us teach about this that people only see in their dreams the products of their own thoughts. Dreams are the result of ideal daytime thoughts, and when the cause is reduced, the result will automatically be minimized. So, number one, if you don't want to have nightmares, control your mind a little bit during the day. Make sure you don't um, don't think only think good thoughts. I one time I, I was I saw a mentalist, 
and it was pretty pretty crazy what he did. He gave me, I had a quarter and he made me write my name on both sides of it. And he had me hold it in my hand, in my wrist, I mean, in my fist. And he told me every time I feel him touching me, he, I just scream my name and I'm screaming my name. He never touched me. And then I rubbed the quarter, turned in half. So his business card said, only think happy thoughts because you don't know who else is thinking them. Because um, he was like, he was able to read minds, whatever. I don't know if I believe in it or not. I mean, the quarter thing was, oh, the quarter, I rubbed the quarter and it bent in my hands, like bent in half. So that I felt happen. That was real. Um, the rest, I don't know. But number one is to think only good thoughts and you want, you'll have good dreams. Then the Rebbe says two more things. You should be particular about reciting the bedtime Shema and ensure that the mezuzah on your bedroom is kosher. So the Rebbe gives us a very simple regimen how to reduce our, our, um, our dreams, our bad dreams. So number one, obviously, like, look at the root causes and minimize those. If you always having a bad dream about certain things, like change your surroundings, be in positive surroundings so you think positive thoughts. But then number two, the Shema is a very, very important prayer. The Shema is a very, very important prayer, which we say every night, it's good to say every night before we go to sleep because it will help us. It makes us just, reminds us about God before we go to sleep. And that'll be our last thought. If you say Shema right before you go to bed, your last thought's about God. And if your last thought's about God, automatically, whatever ideas we thought about throughout the day are pushed a little bit back. You know, our brains are just a sponge. It sucks everything in, our conscious, our subconscious. We're consciously sucking in different ideas. So right before we go to sleep, if we put into our conscious brain the idea of God, then something that we don't want to remember, we push a little bit back. And the more we think about God, if you learn some Torah before you go to sleep, you'll think about that. I used to love playing chess. And, you know, like, there'd be nights I'd play chess for a good nice while before I went to sleep. I would, like, when I'd fall asleep, I'd see a chess game right away. Then I don't know what else. But, like, I, I would see it. You know, when I was in yeshiva, I would, go, I would have questions. I'd be sitting and learning Torah. I have a big question in, in, in Talmud. A lot of, there are nights I woke up in the morning. I don't, I, I don't I dream about the answer. But I'd wake up with an answer in the morning. Because when we go dance in the morning, it was just it was just the coolest thing. I don't even it's just but if we think good things, you know, you close off the day with Shema, God, that's gonna be on top of mind. It's we'll we'll go to sleep in more of a positive light. Um and then also the mezuzah, you know, the mezuzah guards us not only from, you know, the, it guards us not only from physical. Uh, it's not only physical harm, but also emotional harm. You know, sometimes we have our own demons and we emotionally harm ourselves. So the mezuzah can help us with that. Just having a kosher mezuzah, having kosher tefillin, putting those on. These are all things someone struggling with this. This could really, really help them with having, making sure they have proper dreams. So 
let us watch the key points video of everything we went through and then I'll take, we'll have a final questions and discussion. Lesson one, dreams and direction. One, the degree of meaning our dreams have correlates with the degree of focus and meaning our daytime thoughts have. People who think with more intentionality have more meaningful dreams. And people whose minds roam without focus experience meaningless dreams. Two, even if a dream has meaning, not all of its details are accurate or meaningful. Dream interpretation is far from an exact science and can never be considered certain. Three, as a rule, dreams that cause worry and anxiety should be disregarded as meaningless. When dreams do have meaning, their goal is to inspire us to act and improve ourselves. Four, there is no destiny that cannot be changed. Even if we're convinced that a particular dream forebodes negative events, we should know that prayer and mitzvot can change any destiny. Five, nightmares can be reduced through improving the quality of our daytime thoughts. Firm faith in God and a Jewish bedtime ritual are particularly effective in setting the stage for a peaceful and refreshing sleep experience. All right. Um... That concludes our first class. Next week, we are going to be speaking about the Zodiac, not the Zodiac Killer, the Zodiac. Um, it's going to be a very, very interesting class. What should we care about? What shouldn't we care about? Um, do we care about the Zodiac? Spoiler alert, the answer is no, we don't. Why don't we? Um, and all of that, it'll be a lot of fun. Stars and fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining once again. and. We will, I'm going to stop the recording now. We'll start taking questions, having discussion. And if anyone wants to stay on, feel free. <laughs>